It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for braving the ice if you have any on your roads. It looks like it's going to melt pretty good. But uh, it's just an honor and blessing to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? He is good. He really is. And thank you, team, for leading us in this worship. So I don't know if you've been following along in our readings, but uh, if you have been, thank you, my friend, uh, you would know that we are now in the book of Joshua. We've come to a major transition point in the Word of God as we've made our way all the way through the uh, Septuagint or the Torah, and now we have made it to a place where the children of Israel are now ready, finally, to make their way into the promised land. The book of Joshua is an amazing book. It's a long book, and I'm sure as you've been reading all this week, these are some long chapters and a ton of amazing things happen. I'll just give you a quick little overview. Chapter one through five, you've discovered that the children of Israel make their way into the promised land. And then chapter six through 12 is when they actually conquer the land, the land of Canaan. They drive out the Canaanites. And then chapters 13 through 21, God does another thing through Joshua. He helps him distribute all the land to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then chapters 22 through 24, you have the moment where Israel just sort of starts to become a nation of their own. And as we discover in the book of Judges, it doesn't go so well, all right? But anyway, we're going to look at the book of Joshua today. God has given Joshua, the new leader, Moses has died. He's given Joshua now command and, and, and he's in charge of all these people. The year is about 1407 BC. We are standing there at the cusp of right at the, at the Jordan River and they're about to move into this promised land and God gives or commissions Joshua two major assignments. Number one, to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. Number two, to divide the land between the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's what the entire book uh, explains for us. But there's some amazing stories in the middle of all this stuff. And I think if I had a, a hymn that could sum up the entire book of Joshua, it would probably be the one that we sang earlier today. Great is thy faithfulness. Because over and over and over again, you see the faithful hand of God as he leads the children of Israel. So let's dive in. Obviously, we can't cover the entire book, so I took a couple of little moments in the book to sort of highlight for us. But if you'll notice on your app, if you don't have that app, I would encourage you to download it, MyTRBC. It's an app, with, and, and on there is the sermon notes, and you'll notice that as you scroll through those sermon notes, there's a ton of notes. And the reason is because not knowing if we were going to have service or not today with the weather, I just wrote out this entire message for you to read verbatim. And there's a ton of notes that are in there that I won't get to today, all right, because we'd be here till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, uh, but, but read it on your own because I think you'll find some of the interesting uh, historical facts and some of the information about the digs that they did throughout history and all that. I think you'll find it very interesting, and I put all that in there for you so you can study on your own. But I'm just going to highlight two little chapters out of this book, chapter 2 and chapter 6. So as we look briefly at these specific moments in the book of Joshua, I'm going to talk about a couple of important life lessons that you can draw from this book. There's dozens, of course, but we only have time for a few. So I want to look at these things from two different perspectives. First of all, what we can expect from God, and next, what God expects from us. First of all, what can we expect from God? Well, first of all, God always has a plan. First chapter, second verse, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now here's the cool thing about God. Whenever he gives you a plan, he also backs it up with a promise. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. See, God's plans are always perfect, and they always come with a guarantee. He's with us. Nothing ever surprises God. He's sovereign and he's always in control and he always has a plan for your life and for mine, just like he did the children of Israel. So the issue is not whether or not God has a plan. It's whether or not we're going to follow it. And that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They have this plan of God to go into the promised land. It was a long time ago that he gave them this plan. In fact, when they were leaving the nation of of Egypt, that was the plan. It was an 11-day journey. And it ended up taking over 40 years. Why? Because of the disobedience and the sin of the people. It's not because God didn't have a plan. And he made the plan so clear to them. But even in their disobedience, and this is amazing about God, even in their disobedience, God always kept providing for them. In fact, day after day after day, they experienced miracle after miracle. The pillar of cloud by day, they followed it. The pillar of fire by night, God provided that. He was always with them, an ever-constant reminder. And then the manna. Don't you love the stories of the manna? I mean, that's one funky little thing right there, that manna. I can't wait to get to heaven and try a little bit of manna. It's going to be real interesting to taste. It's, It's this weird thing that God provided on the earth every day. They didn't have to go hunt for it. They didn't have to plant it. They didn't have to harvest it. It was just there, and it fed the people while they're wandering around the desert. I don't know if you ever tried to find food in a desert. It's kind of difficult, but this is why God did it. He gave them this manna. Of course, they they probably got a little tired of eating manna after 40 years, the same meal. Jonathan's about the only guy I know that enjoys the same food every day of his life, but he does. And uh, it would drive me crazy. So I would be like the children of Israel. I would be complaining about the manna after about, oh, I don't know, a week or so. And that's what they were doing. So they had to get creative. Maybe they made, I don't know, banana bread for breakfast or something, you know, or maybe some manna cotti for dinner. <laughs> Sorry, that was cheesy. Maybe a little manna bread with some manna cheese, and maybe they add a little manna A's on there. I don't know. I'm just... The fact is, it was there, and every day it was there, and they survived. It was an everyday miracle. And by the way, you and I experience everyday miracles in our lives, don't we? I mean, just think about it. Right at this very moment, your heart is pumping about five to six quarts of blood through your heart every single time it beats. And your heart is going to beat over 100,000 times today. And every day it does this. But it's beating that blood and pushing that blood into your blood vessels. And did you know that the average, average adult, I almost said American adult, the average adult period has over 100,000 miles of blood vessels in your body? Did you know that? That's enough to encircle the globe four times. And you have a DNA construct that's different than anybody else in the entire world. You're totally unique. Nobody is coming before you that's just like you, and nobody will come after you that's just like you. You are so unique. And all the while you're sitting here in your amazing body, you're sitting on a planet Earth that's being heated and, 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 and lit by a blazing ball of fire known as the sun, and it's beaming this light and this heat across 93 million miles in the span of 8.3 minutes, and this light and this heat is reaching us, and somehow, some way, we're on this planet that's just far enough away from the sun to where we don't fry, and just close enough to the sun to where we don't freeze, and all this while we're 
traveling around the sun at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour, and we're rotating at a speed of 1,037 miles per hour. I mean, and we're not in a miracle? Hello? Yes, it is a miracle that we're living in every single day. We're in the middle of multiple miracles. And so the children of Israel have witnessed miracle after miracle, and God's shown them time and time again that he has a plan for them. All they have to do is believe and follow, and that's the problem. Because of sin and disobedience, it disrupted God's plan for the Israelites. And by the way, the same will happen for you. That's why you have to run from sin. You have to run from disobedience because sin and disobedience will disrupt God's plan for your life as well. But it's not because God doesn't have a plan. Oh, God always has a plan. So run from sin and follow it. Let me give you another thing that we can expect from God. God uses people you would never expect. Look at Joshua chapter two, the story of Rahab. It's an amazing story. Joshua sends these two spies to do a little espionage uh, mission, a little a reconnaissance mission, if you will, to uh, the, the city of Jericho. And they get over there, and you see in verse uh, 2 of chapter 2, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove, which is where they were camping out, to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now... Some people would argue, Rahab, no, no, she wasn't really a, a prostitute. She was just an innkeeper. No, all the language in the Old Testament is pretty clear, and in the New Testament, pretty clear. She was a prostitute. And so you might wonder, now, why on earth would they go lodge at basically a whorehouse? Well, the word lodge actually means that they went to, 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 to visit in that particular area of town, not for promiscuous reasons, but they went there because it would have been a perfect place to sort of uh, be uh, inconspicuous because that area was frequented by foreigners all the time and they wouldn't be easily noticed. And it was probably in an area of town known as the red light district where there's lots of activity at night in the bars or wherever so that they can hear conversations among the locals and get a feel for what's really happening and not be noticed. So they're there and Rahab notices them there and she takes them in and she hides them because she knows they're gonna be in danger. And sure enough, word gets out that there's a couple of people that they believe are from the children of Israel that are just across the River Jordan, and everybody knows they're there. Everybody's terrified of this army that's camped right across the river because it's 40,000 people strong, not including women and children. Lots of people, huge army. They're worried. They're scared. Therefore, the city is shut up. And these two strangers suddenly arrive. So they're suspicious. And the king of Jericho sends the police force over there to check them out. And they come to the door and Rahab lies. She says, no, no, no. no. Well, they may have been here before, but they're, they're gone now. In fact, I think they went out the front gate of the city. And if you hurry, you might catch them. And so they leave and they go chasing after with the hope to find the spies. Meanwhile, the spies are up on the roof. And if you read this story in chapter two, you can read all this. They're up on the roof and Rahab basically spares their life. And she helps them escape. But before they leave, Rahab says something along the lines of, and it's all there in chapter 2, of, of this. She says, look, I'm going to help you escape. But in the process, because I'm helping you, you're going to help me. All right? I'm saving your life. So when you guys attack this city, you need to save mine. And, by the way, I believe that you worship the one true God. So she's a believer in the God of Israel, but she hasn't even met him yet. And she hasn't even met anybody from the kingdom over there. She just knows that 
the God they worship is the true God. And she becomes this woman of faith, even at this very, very beginning stage of her, of her growth in the Lord. It's a really, really beautiful story of faith. And so the, the, the spies tell her, okay, look, we will protect you. But here's the deal. Put your whole family in your house. Don't leave. Don't tell anybody we were here. And hang this red scarlet cord in the window so that we know and the whole army knows this is your house. And don't mess with this house when we attack the city. Now, Rahab just is really just a beautiful picture of faith. In fact, the Bible talks about Rahab on several occasions. In fact, in one place, uh, you know, in fact, several places, everywhere she's mentioned, she's always mentioned by name. But here's the funny part to me. They always add the harlot to her name. How would you like that? Every, for your entire life, you're always known by your sins. <laughs> you know, well, there's Larry the liar. Here he comes. You know, or, oh, there's Theo the thief. <laughs> Or, hey, Charles the cheater, whatever it might be. It's just a weird thing, but it's kind of funny because everywhere in the Bible, you see it. Hebrews 11.30, she makes the hall of faith for crying out loud. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. James chapter 2, we're talking about Rahab again. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. James uses Rahab as the principal illustration for matching your works with your faith. She was an incredibly inspiring person. And so God uses this unexpected lady of the night to save the spies and bless them in an unexpected way. And so they go off to the woods for a few days to the coast is clear. They go back to see Joshua. They're talking to Joshua about all the things that, they've, that, they, that they saw in Jericho. And, and it's kind of funny because you don't really see any detail. It's like, you know, I'm sure you wanted to know, well, what was the army like? And they're like, I don't know. What was the police force like? Not sure. But we met this hooker, and she told us, you know, I don't really know what's the, there's no information except that they said this to Joshua. Rahab told us that everybody is scared to death of us. Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And that's word enough for Joshua to build more faith in him that God is with them and he will help them through this battle. So remember in your journey that sometimes God will bring people into your life that you never could have imagined or expected. And he will use them to speak truth into your life and be a blessing to your life. And who knows, maybe even save your life. You see, every encounter really does matter. And don't forget, God very likely wants to use you in that same way in someone else's life as well. So God always has a plan. God uses people you'd never expect, but also God uses ways that you would never expect. Jump over to Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. They're scared to death, right? None went out and none came in. They're just sitting tight in this city. It's not a huge city, but it was an incredibly fortified city. Only about 1,200 people lived in Jericho at this time, but thousands more have made their way from the wilderness and out in the surrounding villages because they are trying to find refuge from this Israelite army who has now crossed the Jordan River and they're sitting about eight miles away. 
So Joshua has this massive army of 40,000 people, and he's looking at these walls going, okay, God, I know we can outnumber them 40 to 1, but what do we do with these walls? And God says, well, I'll tell you. And by the way, there's been some amazing things found around these digs, and I encourage you to look at your notes on the app because I think you'll be uh, just amazed at how once again the Bible, through archaeological evidence, has proved itself to be absolutely accurate and true. And so verse 2 of chapter 6, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. And then for the next several verses, he proceeds to tell uh, Joshua how he's going to take the city. He says, you're going to march around this thing one time, and you're going to do it every day for six days in a row, and then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and you're going to have these priests with you, and they're going to be carrying their, their trumpets or their, what we call a shofar. And then you're going to have the Ark of the Covenant with you. Now, this Ark of the Covenant is an amazing thing, and I wish we had tons of time to dive into it. But as you know, the Ark of the Covenant represented, if you've been reading, that it represents the very presence of God. But there's three items inside the Ark of the Covenant. There's a vessel of manna where they took some of the manna, put it in a jar, and saved it. There's the budding stick of Aaron, which you'll find that story in Numbers chapter 17. And then there's the broken tablets that contain the Ten Commandments that Moses had that he threw on the ground. Now, all three of these items represent major failures of the people of Israel. But the top of the box, the very top of the Ark of the Covenant, was called the mercy seat. It's such a beautiful picture how all of the failures of Israel sit under the mercy seat of God. And the ark represented the very presence of God. So while they're carrying this ark around the city of Jericho, they're carrying ever constant reminders of their failures that had been forgiven by the mercies of God and that were covered by the grace of God. And in his presence is always with them. So they've got their failures, they've got God's provision, and they've got God's presence all right there with this Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was an ever-present reminder of the children of Israel's desperate need for God's presence and God's mercy. And that's exactly, folks, what the cross of Christ is for you and me. It represents our failures, but it also represents God's provision and God's presence. So as you walk around this city or your house or wherever you might be, you may walk with the ever-constant reminders of your past failures. But don't forget that as a child of God, those past failures are under the seed of his mercy. They are under the shadow of his grace. And you are constantly in the very presence of God Almighty. And so on that first day, they got up early and they go around the city. Now, it's not a very big city. Like I said, it's only about a mile, point, 1.24 miles around the circumference of the city. And they've got all the army, 40,000 strong, and they've got the priests carrying the shafars, and they've, got, uh, and they've got their voices, and they've got the Ark of the Covenant. That's it, all right? No big missile launchers, no big anything. It's just that. And it, it only takes like 45 minutes to do this. So they get up early in the morning, the Bible says. And so I can just imagine the army, you know, guy in the shoulder, he just gets up and he goes and leaves his wife and he kisses her goodbye. And within an hour, he's back. And she's like, wow, that was quick. How'd it go? And he's probably like, well, like, show far, show good. <laughs> that was cheesy, I know. But you know what? I worked on that for a week. Come on, give me a break. That was good. <laughs> so they do this for six days straight. And then the seventh day, they do it seven times. And then they blow the trumpets constantly. And then Joshua's had them being completely silent. But in the moment comes, Joshua says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. 
Now, Jonathan, I said, now, Jonathan, I'm not going to blow this shofar, but he said, you need to blow the shofar. He said, you really need to blow it. So I said, okay, well, if I'm going to blow it, then you're going to have to do your part. Just like this message. If I'm going to do my part, you got to do your part. So here's how it goes. I'm going to blow the shofar, and then I want you to shout as loud as you can shout. And don't, none of this wussy little mamby-pamby shout. I mean a real shout, all right? This is not the 8.30 crowd. This is 11 o'clock. I want to hear a real shout. All right? Come on, here we go. Ready? Yes! And the walls, the walls came tumbling down. God did it. Nobody could. I mean, what on earth? So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the walls fell down flat. The walls crumbled from the top all the way down and it formed a natural ramp going into the city. And here's Joshua and he says these words in the middle of all the chaos, he says, and remember, Rahab the harlot, go get her, save her. You had to throw that in there again. But what's funny is everybody's thinking, okay, and I was thinking this too, I'm like, well, wait, 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 wait. If the walls fell down, how did Rahab's house stay intact? Well, I'm glad you asked because there was another dig in 1907 by a group of Germans who went and, and dug and found the walls and everything. And guess what they found? One little section on the north end of town was completely intact where the walls did not and guess what else? The Bible says Rahab's house was built into the walls. And guess what they found? Houses that were built into the walls. Is God cool or what? Man, one part of that wall didn't fall and it was hers. So they burned the city down. Now, the reason Rahab was saved was simply because she had faith in God. She saved the life of the spies, made a covenantal agreement with them. And I wish we had time to go into that because the word she uses, the word hesed, which is a Hebrew word for covenant love. And it's a powerful, powerful word. But the other reason she was saved was because of a scarlet cord that she was hanging in the window. And that scarlet cord, of course, reminds us of the scarlet blood of the lamb that the Egyptian, remember when they were captives in, in Egypt and the, the children of Israel had to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost? Well, it, that was then. And then 440 years later, now we have this scarlet cord hanging in the window of, of, of Rahab, the harlot. And that scarlet cord that started back in Egypt is, is now another sign of the gospel in Jericho. And it and it makes its way throughout history and finally ends up at a place called Mount Calvary where Jesus suffered and bled and died for you and me. She held onto the hope of the scarlet cord in that window and because of that, she was saved. Because of that, the army passed over her home. Now isn't it just like God to place a prostitute in the middle of such a momentous occasion for the nation of Israel? Oh, but wait, there's more. Rahab ends up settling into a new life and eventually starts a family of her own. She becomes part of the, of the Jewish nation. She becomes, even though she's a Gentile, she becomes part of them. In fact, she married a prince of the tribe of Judah and his name was Salmon. <laughs> I know that sounds fishy, but it's true. His name was Salmon, <laughs> all right? Probably had pink skin. I don't know. But his name was Salmon. And it's believed by many that Salmon was one of the two spies that saved her and that she saved herself. 
Now, how about that for a Valentine's story? Isn't that cool? One of the two spies that saved Rahab, she ends up marrying him. Not only that, it says in Scripture that Salmon was very possibly the father of the city of Bethlehem. And he built the city where the Savior was born. Rahab was a huge part of the building of the city of Bethlehem because she married the husband who started the place. So we see in Matthew chapter 1 where Rahab and Salmon have a little boy named Boaz. Boaz has a kid named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a little boy by the name of David, as in King David. And then 14 generations later, the very son of God is born in the little town that they started. And it all goes back to a scarlet cord hanging in a window of the city of Jericho. Does God have a plan or what? And he uses unexpected people in unexpected ways to give us this plan. So this scarlet cord runs all the way through history. And it's this cord of redemption. It's the cord of grace. And that scarlet cord is the blood of Jesus. And it was his blood and his sacrifice that gives us the hope that we have in our hearts. So when your walls are crumbling around you, hold on to the scarlet cord. And when you're overcome with fear or, or facing what seems like an insurmountable problem, hold on to the scarlet cord. And when you're alone or, or afraid and darkness is all around you, hold on to the scarlet cord. It is the hope of Jesus. God has a plan for your life and for mine. And God uses unexpected people in unexpected ways. And one more thing you can expect from God the battle is already won. Isn't it cool to you that God takes this genealogy of Christ and he takes Abraham, who's a liar, and Jacob, a thief, and Judah, the fornicator, and Tamar, the deceiver, and David, who's an adulterer, and makes his way all the way through history using everyday sinners that he used in miraculous and powerful ways, unexpected people in unexpected ways. And if he can use all these people don't you think he might be able to use you too? Yeah, he can. And maybe he strategically placed you around a Rahab or two who desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus in their life. Maybe you are the scarlet cord of the redeeming power of the gospel to them. In other words, you're the only Jesus many people will ever see. So how about you? Do you have the hope of Jesus in your heart? Do you have an emptiness in your soul that needs to be filled? Only Jesus can fill that. So if you're watching today from home or if you're in this room and you've never met Christ, oh, folks, he has a plan for your life. Surrender your life to him. Just simply say a prayer and ask him into your life to forgive you of your sin, to, to, to come into your life and to save you. And you just simply do that through a simple prayer and word it however you need to. But the Bible says if you will believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. And through the process, you will grow, and you will begin to discover what it means to really have and really live the plan of God in your life. And you can read the Bible and discover more and more what God expects from you and what you can expect from God. So I hope that you understand all that and I hope you'll surrender your life to Christ 
today. Now, we can expect from God that he has a plan, that he uses unexpected people in unexpected ways. You can also expect that the battle is already won. Joshua 1, verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, and I will be with you just as I was with Moses, and I will never leave you or abandon you. So as we close today, let me give you what God expects from you. Just four quick things. First of all, he expects you to be strong and courageous. Three times in Joshua chapter 1, he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, it doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. Christianity is not about comfort or security. It's about freedom, Christine Kane said. I love what she says here. And freedom is often found in the most uncomfortable and insecure places. Jesus did not come from heaven to earth to die on a cross and rise again from the dead to make us comfortable and secure. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness so that we can go in and possess the promises that he has for us. So be strong and courageous. God was making the people of Israel dangerous for his glory, so dangerous that the enemies literally melted before them. Let me ask you something. Are you dangerous for God? Does Satan look at you as a threat to his agenda? Please remember this. As a child of God, you have nothing to fear. You are in the Lord's army. You're on the winning side. There is no power. There is no person. There is no principality that can overcome you because you are an overcomer under the blood of the Lamb. And times may be difficult and times may be inconvenient, but never forget, if God be for us, finish it with me. Who can be against? Exactly. Be strong and courageous, for God is on your side. You have nothing and no one to fear. Let me give you one more. Stay faithful to his word. Look at Joshua 1. Only be strong and very courageous, he says in verse 7, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. I mean, I don't know of any scripture or any formula in the world better than this for being a successful person. Just stay in the word. Read it. Meditate on it. And live it. So be strong and courageous. Stay faithful to his word. And then stay in the battle. Uh, Y'all, life is a marathon. It's not a sprint, Right? And your Christian life should be marked by what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. And I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, the circumstances you are asking God to change right now may be the very circumstances he's using to change you. So sometimes you need to embrace the struggle. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your COVID. Don't waste your job loss. Don't waste your financial difficulties. Don't waste your relational problems, whatever they might be. Don't waste them. Let God use these things to grow you. Don't waste the walls. Let him use them to grow you in your faith. You see, every long lap around that city was causing their faith to grow. And every lap around that situation you might be in is making you stronger. And it's building your testimony. So ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me in this battle? I tell you this, one thing's for sure. Every person in this room or every person watching online or by television is facing some sort of battle that the rest of us don't know anything about. And to you, I would say, be strong and courageous, stay faithful, 
to his word. Stay in the battle and know that God is with you. Never doubt that. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So don't flee, don't falter, stand strong and don't doubt. See, we breed doubt and insecurity with our negative words. And did you know that over 80% of our thoughts throughout the day tend to lean on the negative side? It's no wonder people are suffering. Half of our population, by the way, is suffering from depression. It's because we speak negativity in our lives all day long. Stop spewing doubt over your world and negative thoughts and words in the fear. And I promise you, if you'll stop being fearful, you'll stop doubting. And when you stop doubting, the negativity will cease. Stay in the battle. Can you imagine if the Israelites got six days around that place and finally were just like, you know what, this is really not worth it. I don't think I believe this is gonna happen. And they just stopped on the sixth day. They would have totally missed out on the miracle that God had planned for them. And you don't wanna miss out on that. You don't wanna miss out on what God plans for you. So don't quit. Never, never quit. And I'll close with this. Finally, be strong and courageous. Stay faithful to his word. Stay in the battle and trust and obey. I know it sounds trite. We talk about it all the time. Trust and obey, trust and obey. But literally, if there was a little phrase that sums up the entire message of God to us in the Bible, it's simply that. Trust him and obey him. Mark Batterson summed it up like this. Work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. I love that. Trust God's plan. Obey his word and leave the results to him. And remember, the battle is already won. You can count on it. You can expect this from God. What did he tell Joshua? Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Chapter 6, verse 2. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. So when you get to the end of your journey, my prayer is that we will all be like Joshua, who at 110 years old finished strong. He stayed faithful. He stayed in the battle until his last breath. And he was able to declare until life left his lungs, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Be strong and courageous. Stay faithful to his word. Stay in the battle, trust and obey, and on those days when you get to the end of yourself, you'll find that you're just right at the beginning of who God is. <laughs> See, we worship the God of the impossible. Where there is no way, he'll make a way. So when it seems there is no way around the wall or over the wall or under the wall, trust the God of the impossible. Trust the scarlet cord. He will make a way because he is the way. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Can we give God praise today for that? So here's what I'm gonna do. Let's stand together. I'm gonna ask if you would to just uh, 
worship with us. But here's the deal. I'm going to ask our pastors if they would to come to the, floor, come to the front. We're available to, to talk to you. Maybe you want to know more about knowing Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're facing a wall that seems insurmountable and you don't know what to do. We're here to help you. We're here to give you spiritual and, and, and just advice and just to pray with you and to help walk this thing with you. And so as we begin to sing this song that we learned earlier in the service, The Battle Belongs, I'm just going to ask you, the altar's open. You come if you need to. If you don't, then let's just celebrate the goodness of God and realize that, hey, he's got this. It's all in his hands. All right, come on, let's sing together. Zach, Scott. We're going to lift our voices together and sing this truth. You can stay with us as we sing. We're going to ask as you leave today to leave out the sides. We've got a lot of activity happening in Main Street. Come on, let's declare this together, church.
And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.